Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. My copy of Joan Didion's Slouching Toward Bethlehem opens to her 1961 essay entitled On Self-Respect. I have sent some of you in your worst moments to these anointed words. To do without self-respect is to be an unwilling audience of one to an interminable documentary that details one's failings, both real and imagined, with fresh footage spliced in for every screening. There's the glass you broke in anger. There's the hurt on X's face. Watch now this next scene. To live without self-respect is to lie awake some night beyond the reach of warm milk, phenobarbital, and the sleeping hand on the coverlet, counting up the sins of commission and omission, the trusts betrayed, the promises subtly broken, the gifts irrevocably wasted through sloth or cowardice or carelessness. However long we postpone it, we eventually lie down alone in that notoriously uncomfortable bed, the one we make ourselves. Whether or not we sleep in it depends on whether or not we respect ourselves. Respect, self-respect, and respect for others is a spiritual discipline calling us to see and be seen, not in a cursory or shallow way, but deeply. The word respect comes from the Latin, the action of looking back and considering. It is closely associated with regard and honor. The Natal people in South Africa greet one another by saying, Sikona, I am here, to which the other responds, Sawabona, which means, here you are. This is what it means to respect and to be respected. In my childhood home, punishments took two forms. There was much shouting and spanking, and there was the silent treatment. With all due respect to my parents, I recommend neither. But which was worse? The shouting and spanking were like a storm. It came in a fury and a frenzy, and then it passed. But the silent treatment seemed unending. The smoldering, seething sucked all the air out of the house for unnaturally long periods of time, I was invisible, the opposite of seen. The silent treatment 
is disrespectful. Disrespect is usually obvious. Respect is more subtle. Do you know the work of healer Caroline Mace? She posits what she calls the sacred contract with which each of us is charged, a mission to realize our purpose here. She writes, we are all born here to go to earth school. We're on this planet to learn to be spiritual beings in a physical body. Whether or not we agree with the premise, it's an inspiring concept. Caroline Mace says that we fulfill that sacred contract through every person we meet, everyone whom we help, and everyone who helps us. She continues, the philosopher and social activist Martin Buber writes, the things that happen to me day after day, the things that claim me day after day, these contain my essential task. Every day, we are called to perform large and small acts of courage and grace. And the effects of every small action are multiplied a thousandfold. The Buddha taught happiness is the accumulation of good. Respect, then, is a deep engagement with the world in what we might call non-random acts of kindness. Kindness, seeing and treating others as our kindred, our kin. I'm interested in the idea that what we see changes because we see it. And we change what we see. Piero Ferrucci writes, the way we look at others is never neutral, for we transform what we see. In seeing, we give life. Our attention brings energy, while our lack of attention takes it away. This is known as the Pygmalion phenomenon. If I change my perception of you, you will change. Our perception is like a ray of light falling on a plant. Think of how many talents and qualities in everyone that are not fully manifest because they are not seen. To see is the gift of respect. In seeing are the seeds of self-respect. Piero Ferrucci tells a wonderful story about this. I was going to lead a workshop, he writes, when someone pointed out to me a small fellow with a white beard. He said, you cannot imagine how funny that guy is. He has a brilliant sense of humor. I looked at him, and he appeared to me to be a good-natured elf who went around spreading cheerfulness. Before the group began, I said hello to him, adding, I hear you have a talent for making people laugh. He looked surprised as if no one had ever told him such a thing like this. During the workshop, I noticed that he seemed pleased and that he often smiled to himself. I expected him to make jokes, and soon enough he came out with one joke after another, each better than the last. At the end of the morning, I said to the person who at the start had pointed him out as having a great sense of humor, you were right, he is very funny. To which he replied, hang on, whom did you think I meant? I was talking about that guy over there. 
indicating a tall, thin man with an annoyed look on his face who had been quiet the whole time. Self-respect is a byproduct of respect. And respect is a byproduct of self-respect. They are interdependent. In his book, No Man is an Island, Thomas Merton, a Catholic monk and mystic, explored Jesus' commandment to love others as ourselves and the relationship between loving ourselves and loving others. Appropriately, the reasoning is entirely circular. We come to realize, he says, that to create the conditions in which we can serve others, we have to care for ourselves. And to care for ourselves is to create the conditions in which we can serve others. I always think of my friends Grant and Brian Columbans, who served as missionary priests in Peru during the Civil War of the 1980s and 90s. They were living in their parish in the slums outside Lima when both of them were felled with typhoid. They were sick for a long time, and their soup kitchens and other programs languished. I remember writing to them on that light blue onion skin airmail paper, imploring them to move into better accommodations before poverty killed them. And then, who could they help? It could have been reasoned either way, I knew, but in the end, they relented and recovered and pressed on to help a vast network of refugees and orphans. It was through them that Jessie, our youngest daughter, came to us. Thomas Merton writes, we cannot love ourselves unless we love others. And we cannot love others unless we love ourselves. But a selfish love of ourselves makes us incapable of loving others. The difficulty of this commandment lies in the paradox that it would have us love ourselves unselfishly. Because even of our love of ourselves is something we owe ourselves. What do I mean by loving ourselves properly, he continues. I mean, first of all, desiring to live, accepting life as a very great gift and a great good, not because of what it gives us, but because of what it enables us to give others. He concludes, only when we see ourselves in true human context, as members of a race which is intended to be one organism and one body, will we begin to understand the positive importance, not only of the successes, but of the failures and accidents in our lives. On her website, Caroline Mace solicited stories of people's life-changing experiences with giving and receiving. In the first six days, 1,200 stories came in. She organized the stories based on three elements, the crisis, the gift, and the consequence. What struck her most was the lack of correlation between the size of the gift and the size of its effect. She writes, these stories show that everything we do counts. There is really no such thing as a small act of service or goodness. The Tao Jing advises, do the great while it is still small. 
One man wrote that his wife brought him a cup of hot tea each night while he was up studying late after night school. The tea, he says, became the evening ritual of loving support, her way of saying she knew how difficult it was and that it was okay that for now I no longer had time available for us. School could have been an experience of neglect and guilt instead of earning a law degree had it not been for her kindness. I'm touched that he took the time to write to Caroline Mace to tell her about his late night tea. His wife saw him and respected him and believed in him, and he in turn pursued his dream that they might enjoy a better life together. His wife's devotion touched him and changed him forever. Each of us bears the imprint of gestures of patience and kindness and generosity, times when we have been touched by another's seeing us clearly. Years later now, I remember a yoga class I took with a tremendously accomplished yogini who was also a truly spectacular teacher named Kate. It was early in the morning and my body was even less flexible than usual, which is to say that tight doesn't even begin to describe it. Kate talked us into some extraordinary inversion and I just knew that mine was, well, um, pathetic. And I felt just horrible about it because she really had helped me so much and I so wanted her to feel like she was getting somewhere with me. I was worse than nowhere. She came over to me to, God knows, uh, try to do something about my sorry excuse for a yoga pose. And I apologized, saying, Kate, I'm so tight. And adjusting my pose very gently, she said, I know. Me too. Those simple words helped me more than I can say, and I've carried them with me into all sorts of challenges. You are not alone, she was saying. We are traveling this road together. I see you, and I want you to see me too. Never give up. Reflecting on respect, my mind goes to the outer reaches of its influence, the influence of respect, in the resolution of conflict and in inspiring people to act on behalf of the greatest possible good. Vedran Smelovic is known as the cellist of Sarajevo. Do you know this story? The siege of Sarajevo, the longest siege of a capital city in the history of modern warfare, lasted almost four years from 1992 to 1996. From the beginning, the people of Bosnia and Herzegovina um, endured cold, food and water shortages, constant bombings, and sniper fire in the streets. And right at the beginning, a bakery was bombed at 10 o'clock one morning killing 22 people who had queued up for bread. Vedran Smelovic, a musician in the Sarajevo Orchestra, 
dragged his cello and a fire-scorched chair into the bomb crater and proceeded to play Albione's Adagio and G minor as the war raged all around him. 13-year-old peacemaker Jason Crow says, Albinoni's Adagio in G minor had been found in pieces in the bombed out city of Dresden during World War II. I am sure in my heart, whether Mr. Smelovic realizes it or not, that he chose this because he himself was torn to pieces. The myth is that Vedran Smelovic played for 22 days, one day in memory of each victim. In reality, he says, I never stopped playing music throughout the siege. My weapon was my cello. He was also known for playing for free at funerals throughout the siege, even though such funerals would often be targeted by enemy fire. Vedran Smelovic's artistry, courage, and devotion are at the heart of respect and self-respect. Seated in the treacherous street, he played because making music is at the core of his identity. He played to honor the dead. He played to make beauty in the midst of the ugliness of the Bosnian War. Swanee Hunt, ambassador to Austria when the Balkans blew, told me that someone went running out to bring Mr. Smelovic inside, thinking he'd gone mad. Vedran, he said, what are you doing out here playing in the street when they're bombing our city? Vedran Smelovic replied, what are they doing bombing our city when I'm out here playing in the street? Not mad, but profoundly sane. A respectful and self-respecting protest. Both a monument to the dead and a call to the living for courage, hope, and beauty. My spiritual companions, I commend you to the deepest consideration of the power of respect. Sikona, I am here. Sawabona, here you are. Here we are together. We transform what we see, and the power of the individual, magnified by the power of the beloved community to change the world, can never be overestimated. May we go forth emboldened by that power, by this beloved community, and share it extravagantly. Amen.